Do you want a cash-flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom? Sunsets and palm trees on your terms. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags-to-riches real estate millionaire who started with no money or credit and quickly grew a multi-million dollar portfolio of cash-flowing apartments. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life. And the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. Hey, Andrea, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Well, I'm super excited about this episode because it's been a while since we've had someone that's going to talk about what you're going to talk about, that topic, which is going to talk about hotel conversions here in a minute and how that's really a kind of a neat little way to make some money. But before we get into that, though, I would love for you to tell the audience a little bit more about you and who you are and kind of your background. Yeah. So real quick, my background, I'm a mom of three kids. I've been married to my college sweetheart for about 18 years. So that's me personally and grew up as a daughter of an entrepreneur contractor and started my own business after college when I was 25, washing people's dirty diapers. So that was kind of my start into entrepreneurialism. And then at 27, about this is terrible timing, but about three months before our first son was going to be born, my husband and I decided that I would quit my W-2 and focus on my business full time. And when I did that, it exploded. And so I was stay at home mom, work at home mom, growing a business. And I built that business up to about half a million in revenue and sold it in 2022. So yeah. Awesome. And this is what I love. I love when I have family people on the show that married for a long time. Like you don't see that very often. So congratulations on that. (laughs) Thank you. Well, it's all him. Marriage is work. (laughs) Marriage is work. It doesn't have to be hard work though, but it can be. Yeah. But it sounds to me like you're in that position where it's called time and money. We all want to have time to be with our family, especially for moms too, by the way. Yeah. Right. And I will say this. I love working women. Like I believe there's more working women out there. I don't think they get the credit they deserve, right? Because yeah. not only do most women, if they're working, they're working, but they come home and they work yeah. again. Or like for me, I was working with my kids while I was working. And that's just like torture. It's just like the worst idea ever. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to do it to make it work. And we find ways to make it work, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about this and talk about finding making it work with hotel conversions. So shed some light on what that is and why is that important to you? And let's yeah. just kind of go over why, what that is and what does it do? Yeah. And so it's funny because in the hospitality industry, a conversion means that you're changing brands, right? But in the real estate world of multifamily, a conversion means taking a hotel and moving it into apartments. So just that shift alone by putting long-term leases in place, that dramatically increases the value of the property. Let's go even back. So, okay. What does the typical hotel conversion look like? Because I'm assuming these are failed hotels at this point, right? Like they don't do so well. Well, that's what I want. Yeah. Right. I don't want booming ones because then they want too much money for them. But typically it's in markets where there's high hospitality drivers to the point where the big boys, let's say the Hamptons or the Hiltons, the Marriott's, they've come in and really outdone the mom and pops to where now the mom and pops struggle. 
Mm-hmm. And hospitality is a whole nother beast. And if you're not, there's very slim profit margins. And so if, if you're not keeping up with what the market is asking for as a hotel owner, then you're just going to slowly but surely milk that cow dry. And because yep. and you run it by the day, you have to run it by the day, every day, 365 has to yep. happen. So I look for ones that are definitely either not performing well as a hotel because then they're priced below market. Or they're completely vacant. So I've bought both. Right. Now, get that. So you got a completely vacant unit. It means you're somewhat vacant. I have a picture of what these look like in my mind, right? I see these types of, in my mind, it's just like a mismanager, like you said, mom and pop ownership. And it's really not at its highest and best use at this point because of the competition. And sometimes I've seen these rented by the hour, if you know what I'm saying, right? Right. But there's a market for that to turn that around and make it an apartment. Yeah, because a lot of times in these markets, what is happening is there's still a lot of hospitality demand. So there's people coming to these markets to work in the hospitality industry. So they might not currently... And a lot of times, so the one we bought that was not doing well in Colorado, the people that were staying there were already living there. So it wasn't like really this whole new concept. And then they would just take overnighters as well. But like the vacant one, it's just a really rundown, like no one took care of it, got foreclosed on. But there's still like a high, high demand of workforce in that market. So like that's what we're looking for. And what we're looking to do is take... Because like hotels can kind of gouge, but like take advantage of these people where there's nowhere to live for them. And they'll charge them weekly rates of like $800 a week, or even if it's $500 a week, I mean, they're paying two grand a month to live out of a hotel room with a mini fridge. So if we can come in and then we're only charging $800 a month instead of $500 a week, like it's game changer for them as well. So we're like really solving that affordable housing issue and providing housing for these people while also like getting rid of un used asset, really. I mean, it's not used to its full. On something like that, like what kind of rehab do you have to really come in and do? Or, or is it not much? I'm very interested in how that works. Oh, it's a lot. Yeah. So our first one, I would say would be the most minimal we'll ever be able to do, mainly because we didn't have to do sprinklers on the entire property. So that saved us thousands per unit. So we ended up being able to put kitchens in, update the electrical. And by kitchens, I mean like full-size fridge, microwave, and a hot plate. And then like a little convection oven that's like countertop. Right. It's like a kitchenette, full kitchenette, furnished them, which was nice because it was already a hotel. So like a lot of that we got to repurpose. And then remodeled, all new paint, all new flooring, all that for $12,500 a unit, which is really, really affordable. Now our one that's vacant, we're going to be putting about 50,000 a unit into that one, but we got it for 10,000 a unit. So when you add it all together, we're still in pretty low. Right. So it is labor intensive to make the conversion, but it's all based on the buy, right? If you buy the building right, and if you're buying it vacant or because at that point, they're kind of just whatever you can give us is probably good because now are you buying these bank owned or are they? So both. So the first one we bought from an existing owner, it was just a mom and pop hotel. It was at about 30% occupancy, 
maybe 50% on a good month. And then the second one was bank owned. So we bought it direct. The mom and pop, had they owned it for a pretty long time or? Not really. I want to say they had only owned it for five to 10 years. Okay. But even five to 10. So they bought it as, hey, this might be something we could do. And then they realized, like, oh, this a lot of work. He was a special case. He actually decided he was going to be a pastor. And so he moved out of state and went to pastoral college and all this. So, oh, wow. So he was just ready yeah. to roll, right? He was like, he was yeah, done with it. I just yeah. want to get out and be done. <laughs> Oh, wow. And so when you run the numbers on this, this really just becomes a math formula too then, right? So you just say, okay, well, how much is our rehab? How much does it all deal? What does all the financing look like? When you roll that down to the one price, $60,000 a door, and your typical rents is how much a month? They're lower. I mean, yeah, anywhere from seven to 1,200, depending on the the unit. But these are in the Midwest too. Rents just are cheaper. Right. No, I hit it. But it still makes a nice little business model. How quickly can you fill those from vacant? How long does it take you to a project like that? Hey, everyone. 2023 is the year where new millionaires are made, and it's time to take action. A lot of things have changed in multifamily, and you need to know what is working now. You must learn how to raise cheap capital correctly. You need the systems to unlock unlimited deal flow, and you need a support team to guide you along the way. So guess what? The Kahuna boardroom is now open. We only have space for about 60 people. And I'm telling you, this event is next level. We do it right. We do it well. And I will teach you. I will give you everything that I've learned. Now, I only have space for 60 people. And this is really the course that will get you there. So it's three days of live training, a full home study course, our trusted cash flow calculator, to underwrite your deals. And if you enroll now, I'll include five bonus training sessions building up to the live event. So listen, do not waste a single minute. Go to the Kahuna boardroom. I've just lowered the price to $997 for, this is a Valentine's special, my friends. Only 60 people get to attend this event. You want that to be you. So go to kahunaboardroom.com and register today. You will not be disappointed, my friend. Yeah. So our first one was 32 units. So it wasn't huge. Mm -hmm. We were supposed to have it done in about four months, but our contractor completely ghosted us, which, you know, that is a risky take. So about three months in, we started looking for a new contractor and got an awesome one that came in and knocked it out. So all in all, ended up taking about nine months where it should have taken about four But the beauty of that is the city allowed us to remodel and put people in leases as we went. So like we didn't have to like shut it down. So they gave you an occupancy for the ones that you that you were able to finish up. Exactly. So we actually had cash. So you're feeling as you go. Yeah, it was awesome. So we probably about a third of the property, like I said, maybe fifty percent were staying there, and then a third of them stayed and like signed leases. Oh wow! So we had a third of the pro- like I think it was eleven out of the thirty-two units were leased the day we took over. So oh wow, beautiful! Yeah, that was really nice, and they were happy to stay in the hotel rooms that we weren't touching because they were already living in them anyways. Yeah. So it wasn't a change for them. It was actually a little bit cheaper than what it they It's cheaper. It eventually say, okay, when can I move into one of the renovated ones? Yeah. We thought they'd be like itching to get into the nicer ones, like first come first serve, but only one of them really wanted to hurry up and move into the nicer one. And I think part of it is because obviously we charged more 
for the nicer computer. Yeah, okay. So you gave them a deal to stay there, like, hey, you can stay here and just keep on doing this, right? Yeah. Because that's yep. perfect. But then when it comes time to like, oh, now we spent the money, here's the new rate, which was still probably cheaper, but at that point, everybody's kind of making decisions and it's just part of the process, right? Yeah. So this vacant one that we bought, they'll we'll have to completely remodel an entire building to get a CO for that building before we can start lease up. So we're going to start with the smallest one so we can start getting rents in ASAP. Okay, right. (laughs) Now, what about marketing? I mean, I feel like, so there's got to be visibility a lot because usually hotels are in more visible areas, right? More traffic areas, right? Yeah. How does that work? Does that help with your marketing? Absolutely. So this one, the first one we bought was right across the street from not only a brand new come and go to the town gas station to the town that was like a $2 million build. But right next to that is a regional transit that they take people to work in this neighboring town twice a day in the morning and bring them home twice a day at night. And it's literally across the street. So like you couldn't have, I mean, that's, that's our tenant, right? Like you couldn't have a better location. And then the other one. And did you know that before you bought it? Did you already know that oh, was yeah. there? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> that's how my uh, investors were like, is this for real? Like, right. Very strategic, and then right? our Branson one. So Branson is like Vegas, but for families. I'm from the Ozarks. I grew up on Branson. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So it's all entertainment. It's like 12 miles of entertainment. So I'm truly a hillbilly. You didn't know that, but I really am. <laughs> I grew up on a farm in the Ozarks. Oh, the yeah. Ozarks, yeah. just like right in the, the TV. Road. Yes. Oh, my God. That's awesome. So our property is smack dab in the center of the strip of Branson. Oh, yeah. So like literally and right behind it is this huge Tanger Outlet shopping center. Oh, yeah. I so know again, that's at Red Roofs. It's our roofs, tenant, so. right? Mm-hmm. Is those retail workers, the restaurant workers, like everyone that lives right. And it's they can walk like they don't even have to own a car and that's also our tenant so great location oh wow so that sounds like so much it's an interesting concept because again that's just out of the box thinking and because traditionally you think okay well i'm gonna go buy an apartment complex it's got to look like a traditional whatever but that's not always the case and i think being creative in this marketplace even today to find the different opportunities that are available people when you can do it right, it makes a lot of sense financially. I want to talk to you also about like when these deals came around, how did you finance them? And yeah. then how did you raise money? So let's talk about those yeah. two pieces. Yeah. So our first one, it was pretty small community. And so we just talked to the first local bank. We're like, let's find a local bank, kind of see what they say about it. Mm-hmm. And they were like, we want to give you our money. Like they were like, we need housing so bad. Like, please do this, bring it in. You know, like they just were like begging us to do it. And so they held our hand and walked us through making sure that we had everything we needed in order for them to fund us. And it was a 25% down construction loan with a two year interest only period. So that's typically what we're looking for with these in order to have a nice timeline. Because it is a big deal. So it is a construction type of loan in the beginning, right? It is. Yep. And so it is harder to get those than it is multifamily housing. harder to qualify right yeah because you're still there's especially when you're buying a vacant building yeah. <laughs> yeah so it's more of a comparable to like a development where yep. you know you're working with the bank and they're looking at it more like a development than they are like a purchase Correct. so 
they're working hand in hand. We do the whole bank draws and everything during construction and it's a whole process. And then same thing with our next one. We tried to find a local bank down there who would work with us and we just were hitting walls. And so we started talking to some local banks where we live, which is in Omaha, Nebraska. And we're like, would you do something in Missouri? And we ended up finding a local bank here that was willing to lend do a construction loan for us for that property. Bingo, right? Leverage relationships. Now, I'm assuming those construction loans and those types of loans, usually with banks, there's some recourse in them, right? They're 100% recourse. Yep. So that is the downfall. But it's not so bad. I mean, you just got to understand the risk of what that really means, right? But I mean, sometimes a regional bank or local bank has a lot more flexibility if things ever go south, believe it or not, than like your corporate Wall Street sharks that I have to deal with sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, everything's a lawyer in New York. You're like, God right? bless me. Can we just figure it out, right? Yeah. How did you raise money? So for our first one, when we talked with the bank, because we didn't have enough cash for the 25% down. So that was like, we were planning on trying to get a property all by ourselves. And so we weren't really intending on raising capital. That wasn't a goal. But when we went there and we looked at the property, we thought we wanted to buy. And then we found this one while we were there. We're like, no, we want this one. And it was like twice as much. So the bank had told us, basically, we didn't need 25% down cash. We needed 25% down cash or collateral. And so in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, between our personal home and what we have in equity, our cash, and then like our parents, you know, like their equity they have in their home. Like, I think we can make this happen. So that was what gave me the confidence to continue to pursue it and like underwrite it and do all the things. Well, ended up being that I talked to a few associates, colleagues, and they're like, well, yeah, I'll take a look at it and showed them the numbers. And then I had networked with a few multifamily guys and we had built a relationship and I was like, Hey, will you look at this? What am I missing? Like, it just, the numbers seem too good. What am I missing? Cause I don't want to screw this up. One of them was actually a coach for an underwriting program. And so he took a look at it and he's like, you're not missing anything. And I'm like, are you sure? Because it's just a, and so they ended up investing with me, three of them, because they were like, these numbers are insane. Yeah. Beautiful. And how did that feel? Unbelievable for my first, like for not even wanting to raise money to just having five people be like, yeah, we'll give you $50,000. And I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) And then we put our own money in it as well, obviously. And so then when this Branson one came along, I worked with a, a local friend here. We've been trying to partner on something for about a year. And so I was like, okay, I think I got one we can partner on. And him and I just started reaching out to all the active investors we're friends with and everything in town. And we ended up only needing, I think, 11 investors to knock down that entire property. So it just, when the numbers are like, you almost can't argue. So you doubled almost probably the amount of money that you raised in the second one, right? Oh yeah. Second one we raised three million dollars. Okay. Awesome. From two fifty up to three million. <laughs> right? Yeah. Isn't it funny how it snowballs now? And the key piece of that is that you found a partner, right? So yeah. that's the power of networking, right? Absolutely. And finding other people that you can align like because you found these opportunities and everybody's looking for opportunities, especially when you get out into this multifamily world. So the, one of the best things you can do is get into groups, go to the different events out there and find and then really pay attention and network with people and follow up 
and you'll be amazed what happens. Hey everybody, I just wanted to remind you, the Kahuna Boardroom is open and it's live. And I just want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, anybody that's attended this event, I'm telling you right now that they have been blown away. And the reason for that is you know how you go to most events and there's a bunch of selling and this, you need that, you need my next course, you need all this other upsell stuff. Like the event that you go to is really not the one that you really need. That's not this. I spend three days teaching you everything that I know. I give you all my forms, all my stuff. And most importantly, if... (laughs) I introduce you, I give you my credibility kit. In other words, we make one for you guys, but because I put myself as your partner, I get to include all my properties in your credibility kit with your branding, your colors. I don't know who else does that, but I'm telling you just for that alone, it is worth the $9.97 just to get in. So if you're looking to change your life in 2023 and really level up, I highly recommend that you go to kahunaboardroom.com and register now. April 27th through the 29th is when the event starts. So when is the Kuna Boardroom? It's April 27th through the 29th in Scottsdale, Arizona. Guys, you will not want to miss the event. The weather's going to be great. It's going to be a wonderful time. And I would love, love to see you there. Yeah, it's awesome. Like, it's so fun. And like, we just went to the Best Ever Conference. And everyone there, like what I love about this industry is everyone is so collaborative. Like, there's not this air of competition. Yeah. It's truly this air of collaboration and sharing and gathering and cheering each other on. And it's just so different than the retail world, right? And so it's just so refreshing to come from retail to full-time real estate and have a completely different experience. And how does that feel for you now, like at home, just the whole change in what you're doing now versus what you were doing? So... It's interesting because by the time I had sold my retail store, I was pretty absentee in it. And I had been traveling like randomly for different consulting opportunities to consult other business owners. So I was like really loving that. And that was kind of what drove me to say, I think I should get rid of my store because I'm more passionate about helping other people. And I'm really loving real estate. And like, I'm really never at my store. My crew can take care of it. I'll just offload the headache of what it is. And really the the deciding factor was my store manager got pregnant and she's like, I'm going to leave after I have my baby. And I'm like, Ugh. right. I don't want to have to find more back. people, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I don't want to find somebody. I found it. My first franchisee, actually, I was going to franchise the store. And my first franchisee, I called her up. I'm like, do you want to just buy my corporate location instead of opening a franchise? And she's like, yes. So It worked out pretty well. Yeah, it was great. And I love this though. I mean, I'm where I'm supposed to be. So what does the future look for Andrea? Well, we're going to keep doing hotel conversions because I learn more every day, right? Every time we work on something like we just found out about our transformers not big enough and that's a whole thing, right? Like it could take months and months and months for our new transformer to come in. So like we learn little things and it's like invaluable education that why would I ever give that up when there's so much opportunity in that niche? So that for sure, my husband works in the car wash industry full time. And so we just got a purchase agreement signed on our own personal car wash for our first one. And then we're also going to build that and franchise that. So that's another real estate slash business. So it kind of combines both my worlds together. 
plus his. So it's a beautiful marriage. And we're going to get ours built by October. Our washes are going up like crazy. I see them all the time. And they have proven to be a very successful business model. And why not? Yeah. And right now, real estate is crazy right now. Like it's still pretty uncertain. So when the cheese moves, just sometimes you just got to go find where the cheese is at. Right. I love the, and I don't remember whose advice this is, but we've always heard like you should have seven streams of income. Like the wealthiest people have seven streams of income. And so this is just our number five is this car wash. So it's like, we're getting there. We're almost up to that seven, but we're not quite there yet. So, I mean, that's our goal is to have a minimum of seven streams of income. So, yeah. Yeah, Because when one industry does well, sometimes another industry doesn't, but, or, I mean, it's just vice versa. There's always, it's good to be not only just diversified in real estate, but in different types and classes, right? Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. What's the biggest lesson you've learned so far along your journey? Like you said earlier, networking partnerships. I think my hesitation was always control and then trust. And so if you already have the trust, it's a lot easier to talk about control and understand what the expectation is of that and then be able to work together. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. So as we start to wrap up here and thank you for sharing, like, this is phenomenal because I would not never think of doing hotels. It would scare the bejesus out of me. Yeah. Right. And here you are just (laughs) killing it. Right. And learning along the way and getting better and getting more. Those lessons you're learning right now are very key and critical. And then you're even going to do a car wash. I just love that. (laughs) My dad, he was a custom home builder. And so my husband and I have always been like, we will never build a house. Like we're just not new house people, right? We love like old houses and rehabbing them and whatever. And then here we are like developing like giant projects. Yeah. Okay, Love we're not going to build a house, but we'll like redevelop an entire hotel. It's a different thing, man. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's just what it is. That's awesome. So any books you've been reading lately that you've just really kind of turned you on? Yeah, I um, currently am reading Buy Back Your Time. And I feel like it just hit me at the right moment in my life that I needed to read it. So if I would have read it two years ago, it probably wouldn't have resonated with me as much as it is right now. Oh, wow. Buy back your time. All right, we'll put that in the show notes, right? Yeah. And what advice would you love to give for anybody that's new that's listening or kind of somewhat been in the business for a while? Mm -hmm. What advice would you want to give them? Yeah, I'm going to throw it a little sideways here. And I'm going to say, teach your kids what you're learning. Because we're all so growth-minded and want to personal development and push forward. But like, what are your kids picking up? Like, are they becoming entitled because you're giving them everything? Or are they learning? Are you teaching them financial literacy? Are you teaching them mindset? So that's my biggest thing. Like, And what my husband and I are personally working on a passion project called Raise Millionaires to have a little podcast to teach kids like 8 to 12 these concepts, but in a fun little way for them. So I guess that's my biggest thing. My biggest passion is. Like, oh, I love it. I love let's it. Let's make sure a, our kids are being good people. Good. True. People. <laughs> I mean, like, listen, I grew up with from a poor family. I mean, yeah, we were poor. We were just poor. <laughs> I think I never knew we were poor, right? Didn't ever thought hey, we were that's poor. Awesome but I know looking know. back, we weren't that great. But yeah. The conversations that I grew up with are radically different than the conversations that my kids I and we have. Like we talk about money at my house when I was growing up, we never talked about money. Yep. Isn't that funny? Right. It's different. And then I find that wealthy people talk about money all the time. Yeah. Right. 
And it's not the love of money, but it's like it's the financial, like you just said, Andrea. Yeah. It's about the education of it and how to master it, right? Absolutely. It's a double-edged sword for most people. Well, and if you don't teach your kids, who are they going to learn from? Yeah. And you have to set the example as well. Yeah. Awesome. Well, if people are looking to get a hold of you and find you, Andrea, yeah. where do they find you? Yeah. So my investment website is Generational Wealth Capital. Otherwise, if you want to check out RaiseMillionaires.com, if you have kiddos and you want to uh, have them listen to the podcast, we'll be on there as well. Oh, thank you so much. Well, I want to thank you for your time here on our show and just what a blessing and just what you're doing, I think is phenomenal. I wish you all the success in the world. I know you're going to be super, you're just going to keep doing it, doing it. You're probably going to get better and bigger. And I see a whole chain of car washes in your future as well. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Guys, if you're listening to this right now, there is so many ways to make it in real estate. It's not a direct path. There's usually lots of forks in the road and you got to find out what your passion is and what you really want to do because there's lots of ways to make money. But the only way that makes sense is the way you want to do it. And you have to believe it, guys. It has to start with an ideal in your brain. You have to see that vision clearly. And then you go towards that goal daily. You meditate on it. You tell yourself daily that you are the one. And guys, when you do that every day, right? And if you believe it, you will achieve it. And your paradise will become possible. You guys have a wonderful day. 